I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the Editing Podcast. So this week, we're going to talk about how to actually find an editor if you decide you want professional help. And we're going to assume that you've already decided what type of help you want, whether that's a critique or developmental editing or sentence level help like copy and line editing or pre-publication assistance with proofreading. And if you're still not sure, have a listen to episodes one and five. In episode one, we talk about the different levels of editing. And in number five, we chat about genre and subject specialisms. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, there are two parts to the process of finding an editor. First is the initial search. And then comes the refinement process. Yeah, I think it makes absolute sense to break it down like that. So let's take a look at the options for that initial search. And I think your National Editorial Society is a great place to start because most have membership directories and those are a lot smaller and easier to navigate than Google or some other search engine. And that means you can concentrate your search. Yeah, and you can often search on keywords too. So let's imagine you're a crime writer looking for a proofreader. You'll be able to narrow your search to people who have experience of proofreading, specifically crime fiction. Or if you were writing an academic history book, you could find editors who had experience of that. That's right, yeah. And some professional associations, like the Society for Editors and Proofreaders, for example, won't actually allow a member to advertise unless they've met certain criteria, such as training or providing references from publishers. And the editor might also have to have completed, say, for example, a thousand hours of work or passed an editorial test. Yeah, I think that's really important, actually, because it means writers can feel confident knowing that they're engaging with editors who are fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like being a doctor, is it? Anyone can set up and call themselves a professional editor. And it's really difficult for writers to work out who's genuine. And The other thing is that that society might have a code of practice that every member has to sign up for. Um, So the SFEP does, um, doesn't it? So so that's worth looking out for too, because it offers protection. That's a really good point. Uh, And what I would say, though, is that for some national societies, the national element could be limiting because all the advertisers might be from one country. Because in mm. fact, there's, mm. there's absolutely no reason why you have to source editorial help from someone in your own backyard. And loads of editorial professionals, including us, work with clients from all over the world. Absolutely. And just as your audience as a writer is global, so too are the editors you can work with. Yes. So the second place to do an initial search is the biggest and most amazing directory on the planet. And that <laughs> is the Internet. Yes. Your perfect Fit Editorial Pro is out there just waiting for you to touch base. Problem is, the fact that it's the biggest and most amazing directory is also what makes it a nightmare place to search. (laughs) Because your perfect Fit Editorial Pro is buried and that means you need to find a way to dig them out. That is so true. And if you're too broad with your keywords, you might miss them. And if you go too narrow, then, yep, again, you might miss them. (laughs) That reminds me of that thing you can do on Google. Sometimes it prompts you with that message, are you feeling lucky? (laughs) (laughs) I always think it should say punk after that, actually. It's it's got all Clint Eastwood on me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, any series writer doesn't really want to be messing around with luck when it comes to their precious book. And I think there's something else that's worth pointing out here. And that's being high up in Google doesn't mean the editor is necessarily the best fit for you. It means they're an effective marketer. 
and just because someone's website is ranked highly for some niche long tail keyword search doesn't mean that that other person who didn't pepper their website with those particular terms isn't worth considering too and all of that means that you need to do a lot of google legwork to find the best fit and get a really good batch of potential people to work with true that yeah so we're not saying don't use the internet but i think we do need to recognize its limitations among all the well-qualified competent professionals you'll find you'll also find people advertising themselves as proofreaders and editors with little or no training now they may mean well but they aren't necessarily up to standard this can leave you vulnerable to paying for work that is below standard shoddy or incomplete yeah, that's the thing, isn't it, about Google? Mm. It's amazing, but it's crowded. So you'll need to invest some time to make it work for you, which is why we talked about considering professional organisations before we mentioned Google. Yeah. So the next place to think about is your network. So if you've developed a solid network of fellow writers, that could be an absolutely brilliant way to get recommendations. It could, although you also have to bear in mind that the best fit for your writer pal it's not necessarily going to be the best fit for you. And in some, some ways, it's, it's a pretty small resource given the size of the decision that you're making here. Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it, actually. So you could be writing in a different genre or you might need help with a different level of editing. Yeah, and as we talked about in some of the earlier episodes, different editors specialise in different types of editing or particular subjects or genres. So yes, by all means, tap your network for advice but back it up with other searches too. Yeah, exactly. So the next search tool on our list is social media. And just like the search engines, um, social media is great because it's global, but it also has its limitations. So one of these is that different editors use social media platforms in different ways. So, for example, some are actively active primarily on Twitter and might have a LinkedIn profile, but only use Facebook for personal use. Mm. So what I'm saying is which platform you use for your search will determine who you find and who you miss. Yeah, yeah. And I think another thing worth mentioning is that most social media profiles are pretty restrictive in terms of what can be included. So you might not get the best sense of fit from what information the editor has been able to put in there. LinkedIn's probably the best platform in terms of allowing detail to be included, do you think? Yeah, I, I do. Though I have to say from a fiction editor's point of view and a fiction writer's point of view, I don't think it's where I'm having most of the conversations with authors. Um, no. Yeah, in my experience, Facebook's a little better um, for that for that particular community. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, um, even even there, the the information you can put on your business page as an editor is nowhere near as good as LinkedIn's. So, That's true. Yeah, yeah. So let's take a look now at how you might refine your initial searches. So imagine you've found forty developmental editors or copy editors or proofreaders, whatever you need. All of them look great. They all have experience. They can all spell properly. Oh, they're well educated, they're professional, they've got a keen eye for detail and the appropriate training and qualifications. They're all just sitting there in a row waiting for you. Yeah, and you're going to need a way of narrowing down that list to something that's manageable. So yeah. one way you can do this is genre and subject experience. An editor's portfolio can be a godsend here because you can see at a glance whether they're used to working with material that's similar to the stuff you've written. Although at the final pre-publication proofreading stage, which takes place after all the previous rounds of self and professional editing are complete, genre experience may not matter as much. Yeah, that's true. And as long as the copy editing, line editing or developmental editing work has been done. 
And mm. I think that at those stages, genre experience can really help. I've noticed in my own work, for example, that something like crime fiction requires quite a different touch to historical romance. Things like the style of writing, the way characters talk, the length of sentences, even the punctu- the way punctuation's used um, can often be very different across genres. Yeah, yeah. And that can be the same to a degree with non-fiction. So I've edited business books that are aimed at the layperson that have a very different feel to them compared to the more highbrow academic stuff. So choosing an editor with the experience of your material can really help. Now, there's more to an editor than their portfolio. So we're not saying it should be the only thing you use to make your decision, but it should give you a feel for who's used to working with writing like yours. And I don't know about you, Louise, but I think one of the best ways of refining a search is via samples. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So a sample will allow you to see who who gets your writing. A lot of editing is subjective and you might find that five editors all spot the same typos and grammar errors, but they handle the overwriting or recasting rather differently. That's right. And that's where it comes down, not so much to right or wrong, but rather about emotional responsiveness. And this is something that fiction editors talk about quite a lot, but I think it applies just as much to nonfiction. I know you've talked about this before, this, especially with regard to um, uh, evocative or or creative nonfiction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if it's nonfiction, you're still telling somebody's story and uh, particularly with things like memoirs or, you know, um, as you say, creative nonfiction, you want to really feel in tune with the author's voice and make sure that you're when you're doing your editing, you're not cutting that out of it. So it really is an important fit to, to get to find the right editor who really is tuned into your writing. And so a third thing to consider at that stage then for that refinement process is testimonials and endorsements. In other words, what other writers say about an editor. So take a look at an editor's testimonials. Have other writers been prepared to publicly endorse them? Mm -hmm. Have mainstream publishers stuck their necks out and praised their work? Yeah, that's a, it's a good way of checking things. But um, testimonials aren't a foolproof way of determining excellence, because again, just like with portfolios, it's more that they give you a glimpse of what the editors have done, um, who they've worked with and the impressions that they've made. It really is, again, just one way among several of evaluating what's on offer. Yeah, it's a toolbox, isn't it? I think that's a really good way of thinking of it. Yeah. So let's summarise. Do your initial searches using national editorial societies, the search engine, social media and your network. And then refine your search using tools like genre and subject portfolios, sample edits and endorsements. So now it's time for Editing Bites, our weekly feature where we recommend a tool or resource to help you on your writing journey. So, Denise, what have you got for us this week? Well, this week I'm recommending the Writers and Artists Yearbook. Mm. Now, most people think of this as a list of publishers and agents, but it's so much more than a contacts list. It's stuffed full of useful articles across all genres, and it really is an amazing resource for any aspiring writer. The 2019 edition is available now, and the foreword is by Joanne Harris. That's brilliant. Yeah. So I'm going to recommend the Alliance for Independent Authors. They have a partner member directory, actually, where editors and other publishing professionals advertise. So that might be a useful tool for you if you want Mm -hmm. to um, enter that toolbox of, of, of searching for an editor. But what I love more than anything about Ally is their vision for self-publishers and all the free advice and networking opportunities that there are to help indie authors keep control of the entire publishing process. And Mm -hmm. Denise and I have um, 
we've done a couple of round table discussions, haven't we, as part yeah. of the annual online conference. Yeah, and, they um, were really good fun. Yeah. They were really good fun. Yeah. So we'll make sure the videos for those are linked to in the show notes um, yeah. as well. That's a great resource to end with. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Editing Podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via your podcatcher. And don't forget to tell your friends, your writer friends, your editor friends, your business friends, basically anyone who writes. (laughs) And if you have any questions, please do get in touch with us via the Editing Podcast Facebook page. If you ask us a question, we will answer. That's a promise. Don't forget all the links we've mentioned are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.